Welcome to the Guernsey Daily. I'm Ollie Gu. And I'm Rob Byrne. We're just three days away from the polls opening in Guernsey's election. And boy, have we got an episode for you today. Our candidate interview comes from somewhere a bit different. We're in my shed, the notorious political shed in my back garden. Yes, I sat down in the shed with Deputy Carl Mirveld to chat about his unusual mudslinging campaign. Oh, um, and with the Channel Islands fishing rights back on the Brexit agenda, we're going to delve into the relationship between Guernsey and Westminster with Conservative MP Andrew Mitchell. He's had greater transparency in Britain's dependencies high up his list of priorities for a while now. Andrew Mitchell, welcome to the Guernsey Daily. I'll start with a quote, if I may. It comes from uh, Guernsey's head of the Chamber of Commerce. She pleaded to future deputies, please, in the way that you conduct yourself in the States, do not give the UK the opportunity to come and interfere in our affairs. So when is it right for the UK to interfere in Guernsey's affairs? Well, I think everyone at Westminster would start from the basis that uh, the last thing they want to do is to interfere in Guernsey's affairs. Um, Guernsey has a well-respected and well-run parliamentary structure of its own, and uh, it looks after itself and its islanders uh, with distinction. But there are certain circumstances which have always been the case and was reaffirmed in the 1970s by a royal commission that where matters affecting the internal security or the breakdown of order and the foreign affairs, if you like, of Guernsey is concerned, then that is a matter which the UK Parliament would feel obliged to address. Um, and, for example, uh, you know, if in those days um, Guernsey had indicated that she wanted to join the Warsaw Pact, that would clearly not have been something that would have been acceptable. The UK does see the importance of clamping down on money laundering, clamping down on tax evasion, and uh, having these open registers of beneficial ownership as a means to boost transparency as uh, matters of greater importance than any individual member of the British family of nations. And of course, for Guernsey, the, uh, there's not only the British and the British family of nations that see this, and of course, we've imposed upon the overseas territories these same duties for open registers, but it is in the, in the traditions uh, of, of uh, UK international leadership. And of course, um, the EU take exactly the same view about all their countries. And I don't think that Guernsey would wish to, uh, on the one side of themselves, as it were, have the EU, on the other side, uh, Britain, both supporting strongly these open registers and, and, and not have them themselves. You were able to reach an agreement, but it was done under the, the, the threat, I suppose, of amending UK legislation. So why did you feel you had to go down that route, at least? And why was that a case where I presume you felt that there was a significant enough issue to go down that route? Well, it, when David Cameron and George Osborne uh, had uh, the leadership of the G8 uh, back in the early days of the coalition government in the UK, um, the, all the major countries decided that they would try and clamp down on money laundering and on tax evasion. And we know that the scale of, uh, of figures for money laundering are vast, and we know the role that London... Um, and the overseas territories and crown dependencies uh, play in that. It, it may not be possible, indeed it isn't possible, to quantify precisely what the figure is, but we know that it is immense. And Britain 
2016 introduced open registers of beneficial uh, ownership. And while the British regulatory authorities are not uh, necessarily as good as the quality of authorities we find in Guernsey and Jersey, for example, nevertheless, uh, this is the direction of travel. We want to move to an international standard. It's no good waiting until everyone has signed up because otherwise no one signs up. And we felt it was extremely important that the British family, which includes the overseas territories and the and loosely the Crown dependencies, should do so. And it's interesting to note that the British government's position has completely changed because under Mrs May, having fought against the amendment that Margaret Hodge and I introduced in respect of the overseas territories, in a little noticed written statement by the Foreign Secretary in July this year, he made it clear that the not only had the overseas territories now all agreed and that the date uh, was clearly set. Because but there, was, British... there was going to be some challenge on that, wasn't there? My understanding was no, well, that they yes, were but, but, but it's, it's all gone away and the, the British government uh, now makes it absolutely clear in this written statement that it is British government policy that these open registers should take place. Um, and so, you know, that in addition underlines the importance of the deal that was done with Guernsey and Jersey and the Isle of Man to introduce these open registers as, as quickly as, as possible. And um, I'm, I would be astonished if there was any backsliding by, by uh, Jersey or Guernsey. And were there to be any backsliding, I think that the reaction from the UK and indeed from the EU would be very serious indeed. And so while I've not heard of any suggestion that Guernsey or Jersey would resile from what they have uh, said they will do, any such suggestion would, in my view, be a serious backward step with significant consequences. Up next, it's Deputy Carl Meerveld, who uh, must be one of very few candidates identifiable by an emoji. Ah, the hat, of course. The hat, yes. And Rob, you um, you spoke to him about his motivation for his rather unusual campaign, didn't you? Um, highlighted in a double-page ad in the Guernsey Press. So here we are, in the shed. Uh, just for those that haven't been in here, what's this place all about? Well, when I moved back to Guernsey, I wanted a quiet space. I had, at that stage, I had a one and two and a half year old sons. And I needed a quite quite area to myself to be able to work and also to keep all my books and some of my collectibles. Have you read all those? I've read a lot of them. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot in here. I like I like reading. My oldest book in on those shelves was printed when William Shakespeare was 15 years old. Wow, must be worth a few bob then. There's a few expensive books. I hope you've got the security up to mm. scratch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, well, so what is this, but this has transformed into kind of your your political lair now, I suppose. To some extent, yes. I mean, it, it, again, it's a lovely, quiet space when somebody wants to come around and discuss politics. My wife's heard enough of the politics. She's very happy to have me depart the kitchen and come in here when we have uh, guests who want to talk about politics. Okay, and just around us, I see some Islanders Association, a relic from the island-wide voting um vote there some some uh, some branded material you've got a board just behind you with some uh, pictures of different deputies voting so you strike me as someone who who takes politics very seriously and thinks about politics a great deal i think i'm a uh, for better or worse I, I i take everything pretty seriously so if i'm going to do something i was always brought up to believe that if you're going to do something it's worth doing properly and i think that applies to politics probably more so 
than other activities. You need to do it properly, you need to concentrate on it, you need to put your effort in and work for what you believe in. And we're four years in to you, well, four and a bit years as a politician. Nearly four and a half, yes. How do you feel, that, do you feel you've been able to put in all the effort that you've been able to? I've certainly put in all the effort. I wouldn't say I've had the results I wanted for that effort. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think it's some of the frustrations I've been expressing in some of the articles I've been writing recently that's looking at the way that our states is dysfunctional and prevents people from achieving things. How do you think it's dysfunctional? Well, you have a dysfunctionality at the political level with the political games that go on behind the scenes with people pursuing personal advantage and personal agendas, which are not necessarily in the island's best interests. And then at the civil service level, you really have a civil service who run the island and deputies are almost perceived to be an inconvenience who uh, are only useful when something happens at an operational level and the deputies can take the fall while the senior civil servants move to a different division and avoid the um, accountability. You've got to work with these people though. I know. So do you not find yourself... Well, but but, but what, saying things like that, is that not problematic for you should it you is. be re-elected? It, it is. I mean, well, it's, it's been problematic for me the last four and a half years because I have had uh, some quite uh, um, you know, public differences of opinion uh, with both senior civil servants and uh, my colleagues in the Assembly. But again, I, I'm, that's my personality and I'm not going to hide away... I, I'm not going to, I suppose, back away from... Uh, coming out with these things simply because it might reflect badly on me or make my life more difficult in working in the environment. If something's broken, I want to fix it. Okay, but the way in which you do that, that your campaign at the moment is, in your own words, a negative campaign. Yes, and and that is the culmination of four and a half years of frustration. You know, people have said, and I've got quite a lot of feedback on so online, etc. And people have said, well, why didn't you come out with this earlier? Well, I said, well, actually, I have been complaining about all these issues individually as they've happened over the years. But now I'm basically summarising it all and putting it in context and trying to illustrate a pattern of behaviour, uh, not just isolated incidents. In doing so, I am attracting quite a lot of abuse and negativity. But hopefully I'm also making the public aware of why the states isn't delivering what they want in the way they want it and in the time frame they want it, so, why it's dysfunctional. And I, I, my concern is, unless somebody speaks out about this, it will never change and it potentially get worse. Okay, so what are your, your solutions then to making the states less dysfunctional? Well, first of all, the public only have one opportunity every four or so years when they can truly hold deputies accountable. It's only at the election that they can decide who they want to trust with their vote for the next term to deliver what they want. And I think it's important to expose the things I've been discussing so that people can factor that into their decision. If it's allowed to continue without being exposed, there's no transparency and there won't be any accountability. It will get potentially get much worse. And it, I think it's undermining the way the states delivers. And equally with the civil service, the civil service have become a, I don't know, a slightly self-serving entity that I believe is effectively governing the island and isn't accountable directly to the public and to a large extent isn't accountable to deputies. And that I believe has to change if again we want this island to be able to function the way that our people deserve. I mean I'm sure they would dispute that but 
going back on on some of these things you're writing about uh, as part of your campaign, can you give any specific examples of where you feel this this sort of these things that you're seeing, uh, perhaps the public, that the public perhaps aren't, that you want to bring to attention? Can you give us something concrete that you think makes government more dysfunctional? Well, look at the two-school model. It, where did it come from? It wasn't in a single deputy or candidate's manifesto at the last election. It wasn't brought up in the March debate in the previous assembly when they decided to go from four schools to three schools and end selection. It, nobody proposed a two-school model then, despite the fact that Matt Vallees and Peter Roffey and other deputies were in that assembly, ones who subsequently supported it. No. In fact, if you read Matt Fallis's manifesto, he said he supported three schools and the immediate rebuild of Lamar de Cartret. And yet, a few months after being elected, all of a sudden he invents two schools. And it oh, didn't there, come there from teachers. Process. Oh, there was a process, correct. There were secret meetings, there were all kinds of things that went on behind the scenes. But he came to the States and convinced the States that this was this two model, a two school model was the one to pursue. And overturned a committee and effectively took that position up position of influence for himself with the support of some of our most senior deputies. What I'm saying is that there wasn't the usual process. It wasn't uh, voted for by the electorate. It wasn't on anybody's manifesto. It didn't come from a mandate. It wasn't proposed by um, groups of professionals or teachers or unions. It was simply a group of deputies who thought up this idea and got the support of people in PNR to give and provided them with funding to put, explore it, to overturn the decision the states had twice confirmed, both in the previous assembly, three schools non-selective, and this assembly, three schools non-selective, and then throw it out and go on a two-year diversion that I think will end up costing the electorate somewhere in the region of £15 million. It was subject to a state's vote, which was approved. Uh, so you can't say that it, you know, it didn't, it had a degree of democratic backing. Right. But where did it come from? You would expect something as fundamental as education would be, any kind of major redesign would come from a, a proper founding driven by professionals, driven by research and driven by part of the process. This was sprung on the committee at the last minute, as just as the previous committee was publishing its a policy letter delivering on what the states wanted all of a sudden out of the blue came this two-school model backed by senior politicians with political games going on the behind the scenes uh, the committee that Paul Lapelle was uh, president of was starved of resources and then the new committee gets handed massive amount uh, millions of extra pounds in handful transition there's all kinds of games going on behind the scenes that the public wasn't aware of which I believe there are abuses of position and influence for personal agendas and personal power that are costing the, our island and our people millions of pounds, tens of millions of pounds every year, and are preventing us delivering what we should deliver in the way we should deliver, in the time frame we should deliver. How do you think that whole fiasco, and I can call it a fiasco over education, is going to sit in the mind of voters coming into this election? Well, that's interesting because 14 deputies of the 18 deputies, sorry, the 17 deputies who voted not to pause and review seven months ago and voted to immediately proceed with implementation and building of the two schools, potentially there have been bricks in the ground by now, that's what the plan was, 14 of them are standing. 
in currently as candidates. Only one of them has mentioned supporting two schools in their manifesto. The other 13, if you press them, say, oh, we're waiting for the pause and review, the pause and review they voted against, to come forward before they evaluate the decision. That means the two school hasn't gone away yet. You have 14 deputies there who didn't want to have a pause and review, wanted to proceed with two schools. If another seven deputies get elected that support two schools, two schools is back on the agenda. I don't think the public have really cottoned on to that yet. It, the two school is not dead. It could easily resurrect itself and we could still see ourselves going down that path despite the fact it's massively unpopular with the public and the professionals. It's very much the thrust of your manifesto. In fact, your manifesto is unusual in that you tend to spend more time talking about other people than you do about yourself. Yes. And in fact, one of the, the slogans I put behind uh, my manifesto is Ireland first, not me first. So I'm not talking about myself, I'm not talking about policies, I'm not even talking about what I can deliver. Primarily, it has been a case of here's what I believe is wrong and by exposing it, increasing transparency, I'm hoping to increase accountability. Now, if and, and in doing so, I've definitely lost some votes. Now, I would hope that other people would uh, at least give me credit for having done it, having stuck my head above the parapet and having come out with these things. I don't know how it'll affect me in the election, but I stood as a candidate because I wanted to do, make Guernsey, preserve Guernsey and the, and, the, and the quality of Guernsey as a place to grow up in for my children as it was for me as a child and for future generations. I thought you were going to say make Guernsey great again for a second. Uh, no, no. Well, I, uh, uh, well I, I actually know it's more about preserving it. Preserving, uh, you know, we have a wonderful island, it's always evolving as all places tend to be. But I want to make sure it's as good for them as it was for me and for future generations. And as such, I'm not bothered by the position. I'm not, you know, I, if I wasn't a deputy, that's fine. But having made that commitment to the people in the last term, I'm still trying to deliver. I said my motto at the last uh, election was vote for change. Now, I think I have brought in some change. A, I, I championed the three school model. And I think I, I've done well to make sure it wasn't subverted or help you know obviously help make sure it isn't subverted by the two school model and I did manage to champion uh, island-wide voting I definitely was one of the drivers behind that again not all done by me but I was definitely out there at the front helping to uh, uh, promote that change so I, I've done a little bit change but nowhere, nowhere near as much as I wanted to. Can I ask you about that, the island-wide voting campaign? I mean, you were pretty committed to that. You stood out in public with an A-board around you and, and, and drove that. Um, some of the candidates we've spoken to have struggled to say that they've actually achieved anything tangible in the last four years. Um, how proud are you that, you that this election is actually happening under the system you campaigned for? Um, I wouldn't say proud. I'm pleased. I, I mean, it is something I very much believed in and I, and so this is changed. it did change I, that's what I'm saying if, if it hadn't been for island-wide voting could I hand on my heart say I changed anything and I put on my boards vote for change at the last election could I put my hand on my heart and say I'd changed anything and the answer would be no and that's a sad state of affairs because I've worked very hard the last four years but it's uh, island-wide voting I can say I've actually helped to bring forward change not change that everybody would agree with but that's the nature of politics as well but at least I've done, I've, I've, I've achieved something. So I have got a certain amount of satisfaction out of that. And as a candidate, you've now stood under the previous system and the new system. 
and others that we've spoken to that have done that have basically moaned a lot about the challenges of campaigning in an island-wide system. Do you understand or have you come across any frustrations yourself? Oh, I, no, it, it, it's a completely new experience for everybody. So un, under the old uh, systems, you would have pundits who would have, no pre, they'd have a pretty good guess of who was going to get elected, who wasn't. And the field is much more open now. It's much more unpredictable. There are the usual teething problems in changing to any dramatically new system. And I'm sure that there will be a post-mortem after the election and suggestions will be made for the future to make it better. I'm sure there'll also be suggestions to go back to the old system, which I hope they don't do. It is more challenging. Actually, that challenge is part of what I want, why I wanted island-wide voting, because I want to try and move the conversation away from electing people because of personality or because they've got a Guernsey last name and move it more to a discussion about policies and what people want to be delivered. Do you risk, though, with having such a greater number of candidates that people can't be bothered to scrutinise and actually it, the candidates individually, and it does reduce it down to something as simple as having a Guernsey surname? That, that's always going to happen. There's always going to be a case I'm just going to vote for them because they're Guernsey. You're going to have some people who won't vote for me because I'm already a deputy and they'll only vote for new deputies. So you, you'll always have those bias or those personal opinions. But that is normal and, and, and quite acceptable. You know, People can have a position that helps determine their voting patterns. Some candidates will only vote for women. It, you know, That's normal. What I would be saying to advise people is don't try and place 38 votes. Place as many, just as many, as you are confident in that they are the right choice for you. That might be two, it might be 22, it may be 38. But tick the names or shade in the names, I shouldn't be saying tick, the names that you are comfortable with, you are confident that they um, represent your values and that they are likely to deliver what you want from them over the next term. Why not use all 38? Because what happens is, as you get to, once you get to the limit of how many you are sure about, you go on to the ones you're not so sure about, and you start diluting your vote. Some of those not so sure people might get in because of your vote, and some of the ones you really wanted might not. You're better off focusing your vote on just the ones you want. I mean, there are different theories on that. So, I mean, I, equally, if you, if you if you do prioritise a fewer number of votes, then you could almost see. Uh, sort of a, a bottom where you get a lot of people who are getting in on a very small number of votes. Isn't that another potential? I, th- I think that's going to happen anyway. That that That's almost inevitable, especially for the newer candidates who will struggle to raise their profile. You know, I'm lucky enough that I've been, not only have I am I existing deputy, but I've been a fairly high profile and contentious deputy. So at least people tend to know my name. So I'm going to have an advantage from that automatically. I My best guess, and this is purely a guess, is that to get in, the, the, the deputy at number 38 in the scale will come in with somewhere between three and a half and 4,000 votes. And the one that comes in 30th might be just 4,000 or 4,005. There may be very little difference. When you get to the person getting the most votes, again, best guess, 12,000 to 13,500 for the top vote. So somebody who's got almost 50% of, of the turnout or just over 50% of the turnout is likely to be the, the, the person at the very top of the scale and the bottom of the scale will be three and a half to 4,000 votes. And it'll be interesting to see if I'm right. And tell us a bit more about what you have done. You talked about people having to adapt. Um, what are you doing differently this time around compared to four well, years ago? Well, uh, people may have noticed I haven't got a single poster out. 
Didn't uh, they get to face last time? Is that, well, they did. Uh, I, I, well, I'm not surprised. They're a fairly large targets. Yeah. So I, I started the trend with large posters, but this time I've taken a very different tack. Is that because you think people are going to be bombarded with too many posters because of more no, candidates? But no, because of the campaign I'm running. So my money's gone into buying pages in the uh, in um, the Guernsey Press. It's gone into buying adverts on media. It's gone into putting arguments, uh, articles up on Facebook, etc., and then using online promotions to get them out there. A six thousand pound budget is too low for island-wide voting. A uh, SAC originally proposed per candidate up to nine thousand, which would be a more reasonable level to do a mail drop and some other form of advertising. So you're feeling the pinch. Uh, put it this way: the budget restricts what you can do, and because of the nature of my campaign, which is very much looking at putting the island first rather than me, I'm not going out and promoting myself. I'm buying the space and the advertising to actually push my argument out to as many people as possible, rather than trying to promote me as an individual. Do you worry at all that in pushing the narrative of sort of behind closed door deals in the States and a lack of transparency and you being really the only one on the inside bringing these issues to the fore, that perhaps you'll just be seen as, I don't know, some nutter in a shed? Uh, yes, a, a maverick. Uh, well, actually, it's interesting. I mean, some of the comments I've got on online have been things like, well, do you think we're stupid? Do you think we didn't know this was happening? And I replied and said, but yes, but when have you ever seen a standing deputy stand up and say it? And they've had to admit they never have. Somebody from the inside who is risking their position, risking their work, working relationship with other deputies and with the civil service, you know, potentially jeopardising everything to come out and say these things. And that just doesn't happen. Why? Because most people think first about how am I going to function? How is this going to lose me my position? Is it going to affect my ability to be effective in the next states? They, they do worry about those things. And also they worry about the amount of abuse they'll get. And so I think that discourages a lot of other deputies who share my sentiments but don't necessarily want to be trumpeting it publicly. And how do voters know that it really is Ireland first in your case and not just Carl Mierveld first because you have personal vendettas against people? Well, I don't... Well, again, I'm not targeting uh, any one person. I I specifically in my campaign try to avoid names of individuals. If I were... um, going after somebody for a vendetta it would be a kamikaze attack because i'm going to take as much damage in the process as they as 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 they're likely to so it would be it wouldn't exactly be a self-serving action hmm. that sounds a bit like a threat no well no i'm just taking the fact it wouldn't be self-serving no you're saying you're sure it's not i'm saying island first not me first and you're saying is it island first is it island first or is it carl first and what he wants well i'm just saying that if i went on the attack and i was doing it purely in a vindictive way then it wouldn't be you know i can anticipate taking as much damage as i give as it were but do you feel that you are you are tapping into uh you must feel that you're tapping into some kind of feeling among people or a distrust perhaps of the senior politicians in the current state's assembly i think i i i think actually going back to those comments online don't you think we know this already the fact is the the general public do have an inkling this guernsey is a small place people do get to hear things but what i am i'm a lightning rod in two senses 
one i'm a lightning rod for the sh1t that's falling on me for for having broken ranks and said things but i'm also a lightning rod for those people who are concerned about this going on in the states and i'm hopefully going to galvanize action i want to galvanize a reaction from the electorate who say you know what if this is going on and we and we got a good idea of the kind of people who are doing it, the people that individ- then I'm going to vote a different way. I'm going to use my vote to try and bring in a different state. And I know, certainly during this term, conversations with my mother. I've spoken to my mother numerous times when different political games have been going on. And she said to me, oh, you, the island needs to know this. They'd be outraged. And I've had to explain to her about this difficulty of how do you bring this out? How do you how do you broach this subject? How do you make people aware? A, because people can't do anything about it directly other than at an, at an election. But also because it affects that working relationship and everything else. And I suppose out of frustration and a desire to see things work better, I've decided to break, break that, break, bring those things out that my mother came out with these expressions, oh, people need to know. Well, I'm trying to tell them now. And, and, and I am taking a hammering for doing it. Yeah, oh, well, I've noticed some adverse reactions, certainly online. Um, if you were to be re-elected, do you worry that you just go from being a maverick, an outsider, someone who's trying to point out these things um, and and doing what you believe is right uh, in the lead up to election to being a maverick and an outsider in an assembly that doesn't actually achieve anything because of that status? You mean uh, I couldn't achieve as an individual? Oh, yeah, it might undermine my effectiveness. Yeah. Again, it comes back to who's elected. If I'm elected with a, de- a group of other deputies, because I know there are other candidates who share these concerns. If I'm elected with a group of people who say, you know what, it is a problem, let's address it. Then I will be front and centre in that movement to go out there and address the problems. If other people are elected, they're likely to put me on the back bench and leave me there for the rest of the term. And I will do what I've done for the last couple of years. Uh, I will sit there trying to argue for and fighting for things like the pause and review to prevent the two schools going through i will f- still fight the corner for the electorate for what i believe in and and again when i say fight the corner i'm i'm fighting the corner what i believe is in right and in the case of two schools i believe the majority of the island thinks right i i won't be always fighting a corner for everybody there will always be people who disagree with me yeah you obviously had your attempt to start a political party and to get a more formal form of support yes and to coalesce around policies which again was one of the reasons why you wanted to support it how disappointed are you that that fell through before this election? well it didn't actually fall, fall through it's more a case of i proceed decided not to proceed with it really yeah absolutely i mean i had people who contacted me saying really disappointed we you know why aren't we why aren't we going ahead with this why aren't we forming a group um, I end up with people that would have stood as part of the Islands Association group and I told them to stand as independents, you know, because I decided that I had something I had to say and I couldn't have said this as part of a group. I couldn't have joined a group. With a group, you've got to have a consensus voice. You need to have some commonality between you. You need to be um, uh, preferably putting forward a positive message. I couldn't have been as blunt and as forthcoming as I have been 
if I'm part of a group because the SH1T that's falling on me would have been falling on the group as well. They would have been damned through association. Good job we're in a shed. Good job we're in a shed, absolutely. <laughs> could provide some shelter. Uh, final point, um, and it is a serious one. Transparency comes up in your manifesto. Time and again. Now, you have personally been linked to a fraud in Australia and you've denied wrongdoing and I understand there might be some litigation still going on around that. But what would you say to voters who might question your own personal transparency? Well, uh, I believe there is litigation going on in Australia, but not, certainly not involving me. I, after the 2016 election, this was raised. I tried to address it during the uh, election, but because of the purda and the media not being allowed to report on it, it wasn't reported during the election. I'm sure it affected my votes to some extent. After the election, I released a statement and also copies of the correspondence yeah, I've seen it. from the regulators. Yeah. And I've let, it, let, let people draw their own conclusions from that. So I've tried to be as transparent as possible, saying this is what's happened and here's the correspondence. And people can interpret it any way they wish. But this is now 10 years old and um, it's been in the public domain for at least five years. Well, actually it's been in the public domain for 10 years, but it's been a, of political interest for five years. So... Uh, if anybody's coming after me or uh, I'm going to be done for it, I think it would have happened by now. I mean, at the end of the day, this has not gone any further. I put out the information out there. I don't want to get drawn into conversations about it because I don't want to be drawn into that litigation that's going on elsewhere in the world. No, I appreciate that. Um, and I guess, you know, sometimes these regulatory investigations can take time. Um, you well, released... actually, the, the, the documents say the case is now closed. Against you from the Guernsey Financial oh, Services Commission. Not against me because the... it was never against me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was originally asked if I would talk to the Australian regulators. I volunteered. The Australian regulators then said, actually, we can't be bothered talking to you. And uh, thanked me for would being willing to participate. And then subsequently, before the 2016 election, I knew it would become an issue. So I contacted the regulators again and they said the, um, the case was closed and neither the Australian nor the Guernsey regulators had any interest in me. So, you know, it's, it's done and dusted. And, I, and again, transparency. I put the documents out there. I put them the documents out there in 2016. Here they are. Here's the correspondence. You judge for yourself. And that's, again, something that's lacking in this in this states of Guernsey. Too much goes on behind closed doors. Not enough times do we have the information out there. And it's one of the things I would be looking to bring in is a Freedom of Information Act in Guernsey. Okay. There's one in the UK. It was put in place in 2000. The Ireland Man, I think, was 2011. Jersey, 2015. We're well behind the curve on the Freedom of Information Act. Why would that law make a difference compared to the current system that's in place? Right. Currently, you can make a request for information, but there isn't a law compelling the government to give you what you've asked for. I want to have a law there so that, particularly the media, can interrogate. I mean, members of the public may have specific interests, but it's more to do with the media getting a timely answer. So give an example. The Scrutiny Committee made three attempts to uh, scrutinise or set up a commission to scrutinise the hiring of curriculum standards by, by education. And it was rebuffed and there was no inquiry launched. Now, that's ridiculous. I mean, you had potentially a, a breach of the law, but certainly something that's very controversial, and it got killed off 
um, and didn't go anywhere. Under a Freedom of Information Act, the media would have requested the underlying information, received it, and then it would have been out there in the public domain. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's had frustrations with the system as a journalist, uh, you know, I, <laughs> in a way you're preaching to the choir here. However, what I would say in the defence of the system is that any law has the same exceptions or exemptions within it that would be broadly applied. Perhaps the only difference is that there would be an independent appeals mechanism within the law, which there isn't in the current one. Um, but that's something you would prioritise if you got re-elected. Uh, absolutely. That's something I would want to see brought in in Guernsey. Okay, and any more surprises uh, left in the Karl Mierveld campaign before uh, before the voting day? Always. <laughs> okay, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out the podcast Audio Manifestos 2 in the same place that you found this episode. To get in touch with the show, find us on Twitter at Guernsey Daily or email theguernseydaily at gmail.com. Remember, the full list of candidates is available on election2020.gg. We're proud to be partnered with Guernsey Community Radio, where you can also hear us. Until next time, bye for now. Goodbye. Goodbye.